I'll tell you something I love about being in France, in addition to some seriously delicious butter, and that is the wide selection of wines I can find in France for low prices. It can be much more difficult to source those same bottles back in the States, and that's why I love to buy wines out of France with Ideal Wine. I have bottles shipped to me, hassle-free. It's easy. Ideal Wine has a new auction every week and is a great source for iconic names like Ouette, Louis Roeder, and Domaine Lefleve, as well as rising stars like Arnaud Lachaud, Gonon, and Tissot. Find the wines you'd rather be drinking at idealwine.com. That's I-D-E-A-L-W-I-N-E.com and have the wine shipped to you in the States. Use the promo code FIRST, F-I-R-S-T, for $15 off your first order of $150 or more. Hey, that's $15 you could save, and that is some good butter money. See for yourself at Ideal Wine. I'm Levy Dalton, and this is All Drink to That, where we get behind the scenes of the wine business. Charlie Woods of Bonami Imports comes to tell us about a long history with wine, sales, and import in the New York, Manhattan area. Charlie Woods on the show today of Bonami Imports. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm good. Nice Thanks to for see having you. me, Levy. Let's talk a little bit about Charlie Woods. How'd you get started uh, in the wine, the food, the thing? What, 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 what happened? Well, you know, I was always drawn to food, and, and uh, I was kicking around in my early 20s uh, trying to figure out what to do with life. And, um, I tried to, uh, tried, tried to be in academia for a little bit. Um, and that was pretty much going nowhere. Uh, so I started, uh, working in restaurants in, in restaurant kitchens. Um, and I got my first job at a great place, which no longer is, is in existence at, in uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts. I was living in uh, Boston at the time, and uh, I started working for a, a, a great guy named Chris Schlesinger, who uh, owned a restaurant called the East Coast Grill. Um, I know that cat. Nice guy. He's a great guy. Um, he, uh, at the time, had a uh, very cool little barbecue shack next door called Jake and Earl's Dixie Barbecue, which um, I got hired to, uh, you know, basically uh, put a little coleslaw in some portion containers and, and do that kind of thing. Well, you know, uh, long story short, I, uh, I worked my way up. I, I started actually, uh, cooking the barbecue, uh, pit master and all that. Um, and then I was able to move over to the East coast grill next door and start my, uh, Oh, the flagship is his baby. Yeah. Yeah. Which he sold this year, I think. But, um, after a long run, Rob, after, right? It was uh, like 25 years. Something yeah, like absolutely. I mean, he's a, he's an icon of the Boston food scene. And, and what was it like working with Chris? Uh, fun as hell, you yeah. know, his, um, and I, and I love that. And I, I, you know, I think, uh, I hope I, I retain some of that sense of, um, enjoying yourself while, while, you know, I, I've, I've always wanted to do what I love and make that my living. And, um, I know that's, uh, that's the way Chris is too. And, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was fun working with him. He, uh, he loved the fire, you know, loading the logs onto it. And, and, um, we just, uh, we had a really good time. And, um, from there I, uh, continued to work as a line cook in restaurants in Boston. I, I, um, 
I worked for a guy named Paul O'Connell for a little while. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he, and that was great. That was a whole opening into all the uh, connections of the great many people who came out of Todd English's uh, restaurant Olives, uh, who are really, really successful now in the Boston food scene. And like, um, It used to be like Barbara Lynch, Lydia Shire, like working the line for Todd English. I know, I know. It's like a all-star squad or something. But um, yeah, Barbara Lynch was great. I, I got the chance to meet her. I worked for Steve Johnson for a while. Uh, you know, that was kind of the Chris connection. They're, they're buddies. Um, and, you know, Boston was great. Uh, I, uh, I loved that scene. It was uh, a lot of uh, good times, you know, going out after work and uh, going to the Plow and Stars and seeing uh, yeah, 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 yeah. and Special Sauce even before his first album came out. That was fun. Um, yeah, so all, all, all a lot of good times. And, and I, I loved being a line cook. Um, you know, I loved the hard work. It was the first time in my life where I felt like, you know, I was uh, I was on it. I was really organized, and and, and I was I, I got I got a big buzz out of um, someone gave you some responsibility, and you responded to that. Yeah, true. Um, and um, you know, it, it led to um, a lot of things for me, and and meeting a lot of people, and um, it led to uh, you know a, a a really good foundation for my confidence in just uh, approaching life, uh, which you know. Um, you go through school and uh, you're not very good at it, um, even though, you know, I, I never felt like I was not uh, intelligent. Uh, I felt like it just wasn't in me to be organized enough or to be whatever. But, uh, but, but cooking changed everything. And, um, you know, I, I, I felt like I pretty much kicked ass at it. And um, so from there, you know, I moved to, down to New York uh, to get a little bit more um, – you know, the intense scene of, of New York cooking. Um, Did you find it hard to leave Boston Cambridge crew, like the way that it can be kind of supporting but also keep you there at the same time? Like, it, you know, it's a neighborhood, but in that way that kind of it's hard to leave? Yeah, um, but it was time. Um, yeah. And also my then-girlfriend, now-wife, had moved down to New York to, uh, to go to art school. Got it. And, uh, yeah, I wanted to be with her. So, so uh, yeah, it seemed like a, a great thing to do. And I went straight to um, a number of places looking for a job. I ended up uh, working at Union Square Cafe for a little bit. What was that like? It was uh, it was very different to me because I'd always worked in pretty small places. Yeah, and just uh, the sheer volume. The volume was insane. And, and it was very compartmentalized cooking. Oh, I see. So, like, this is what you do, not like you're, you're oh, hey, we need help with this, we need help with that. Yeah, I had been used to, you know, really um, – having a comprehensive uh, understanding of, of what everything was going on in the kitchen, what, what, every, what, what uh, the garmanger was doing and, and all the way down the line. Uh, and going from that to being garmanger at um, Union Square, I, um, uh, it wasn't satisfying, uh, although the food is excellent and Michael Romano is one of the best chefs I've ever worked for. Um, but I, I, I moved on from there to work with um, first Scott Bryan, uh, who uh, in the early days, right? In the early days before Veritas, yeah, he had a little West Village restaurant called Indigo, which was uh, a lot of fun to work at. I think that's like where they found him, right? Like Park used to be a regular there. Yeah, like, I think you know Indigo, and then he had um, another place further for the West called Luma, I believe. Um, he had a couple of things going on, um, and then he uh, uh, he had a partner. You know, I think that that park hooked up with and and uh they all did that very toss thing for a little while which was uh, which was a great scene um 
Anyway, so from there, I uh, I left and started working with Peter Hoffman at sure. Savoy. Savoy. Which was my kind of food. It was uh, very uh, very much the thing that I love is is rustic and um, uh, beautiful, fresh ingredients. And uh, and Peter was was great. And uh, I worked for a guy named David Worth, who was great. I don't know where he is now, but I'd like to know. He's a good guy. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I, I worked up to sous chef there and um, – and I had uh, a good friend at a certain point who was opening a restaurant in Brooklyn. Uh, this is a friend, Anna Klinger, who I had met at Union Square Cafe. And um, she, 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 she had worked there? She was working there. Yeah, yeah. Union Square Cafe was interesting. We, we, um, we were both on the Garmanger, uh, Anna and I. And uh, uh, funny aside, uh, I guess who trained both of us was uh, Juliet Pope. No way. Yeah, no, she she was there and she uh, was moving up the line and yeah, uh, yeah. So that was uh, a nice. Do you ever see her? And she's like, "Are you are you working on your knife skills, Charlie? What's wrong with you?" Uh, <laughs> I see Juliet, you know, a, a bit, um, and you know, we maintain a friendship. She's a, a great, great person and great sommelier. Um, so Miss Klinger. Uh, Anna kind of recruited me to, to help her out uh, opening up this place in on Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, uh, Aldi La Trattoria. I heard of that place. Awesome place. And um, You were there for the opening. I was there for the opening, yeah. I was there, um, you know, we, we, we had a lot of work to do before we opened it. and uh, In it terms was, of the physical site? In, in terms of physical site, it had been a Chinese restaurant, and um, I, I, uh, I, I don't want to get too into this but it, you know the chinese folks who had uh, failed their business had left the place uh, less than sanitary conditions and and um uh, it was just you know a, a battle to uh, kind of take back that space and uh you know you look at it now and it's absolutely beautiful and the food is amazing everybody should uh, check out aldi la if you haven't yet because um, it's an interesting blend now in terms of decor it's got like that like uh Venetian veneer on the ceiling, but then very kind of Brooklyn at the tables with no tablecloths and yeah, kind of yeah. simple. Anna, I think, was really one of the first people to be doing that. You see a lot of places in Brooklyn now, and they're uh, affecting that rustic look. Um, you know, I, I think um, Il Buco was doing that a long, long time yeah, ago, sure. too. But but um, but I think, um, I really think uh, Aldi La, they were pioneers and, and heavily influential on the uh, the Brooklyn food scene. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, that juxtaposition of the uh, beautiful chandelier and then sort of this rustic uh, uh, tin ceiling that's kind of uh, half painted. And Anyway, um, yeah, that was a, a great, great job. And um, I loved it. Um, what were you, what were you rocking there? What were you doing? Just kind of uh, everything? Yeah, you know, just basically opening yeah like, <laughs> opening the place <laughs> the madness develop helping to develop the menu and and um and uh, just cooking like crazy because from day one we were slammed is that true yeah, like I, there was a need and they hit it day one we could not believe it it was just slammed uh and it never stopped and i, I think they're still going real strong just like that when i was there I was certainly busy yeah good what? yeah and then they started doing lunch and I, I think they do well with that um miliano is uh anna's husband he's the He's a front of the house guy, the wine dude, the wine dude, and and he's a, a terrific guy. I remember, you know, <laughs> we were so uh, just overwhelmed by the business, you know, that was coming through the door, and and people they st started by trying to take reservations, and they gave up on that real quick. And I remember at the end of one night, maybe the first week, Emiliano says, and he's a very 
wry guy. He says, I go out for a cigarette and I don't come back. (laughs) (laughs) It was a a great line. Um, So, um, you know, to segue a little bit, um, to segue a little bit, I, um, I, I, that time of my life, I, um, I was riding uh, a bicycle all the time. It was my commute. It was, you know, if I wasn't cooking or sleeping, I was probably on a bicycle somewhere. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I um, was coming sort of to the end of uh, my cooking life in, in a certain way, even though every experience that I had had was fantastic. Um, I, I was starting to burn out a little bit. Um, my, it's a physical thing. It takes uh, a lot out of it. Physical and mental. Um, yeah, I mean, it does. Uh, you know, and I, I um, really uh, congratulate and, and uh, respect any, anybody who is a line cook and, and working hard at it and, and uh, moving up. And, and it's, a, it's a really, really hard thing to do, especially if you do it, uh, I think, you know, from the DIY perspective where you don't go to school and you just, you know, start as an onion gump and, you know, uh, it's a... Hard thing to do. Um, but I was also, you know, very much becoming interested in wine. I, w- I took the ASA course, um, and uh, and, I, and I started studying a lot of books and things like that. It just seemed, like, logical um, that, you know, wine and food, and, and, uh, and I was becoming excited by it. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I quit Aldila um, to take a break, uh, and uh, didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, but I, I knew I wanted to travel. And I got this idea to do a little riding in Europe. And um, I got the bike and I put it on the plane, which, um, uh, interesting thing at that time, you could buy a ticket to Europe real cheap uh, if you weren't so particular about exactly where you wanted to go. There was this um, service that would uh, set you up with a flight. And I wanted, pretty much wanted to go to Rome, uh, but I settled for Madrid, which was great. You know, that uh, it was serendipitous and, and, and a, a great thing to do. I knew I wanted to ride through wine regions and, and taste and meet wine makers. And I did that. And instead of um, doing that in, in Tuscany, I, I did that. Well, I did get to Tuscany, actually, but um, I started out um, south of the Ribera del, del Duero region. So I went through there. Um, and at that time, and I don't know what it's like now because I haven't been back, but uh, it wasn't like Napa, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is where I had experience. You know, Long Island and Napa, I had seen that. And I, you know, okay, wine, tourism, you know, I'll just go right. and, you know. So you're saying the, the party bus wasn't lined up <laughs> in the parking lot for the group tour? There was nowhere to go in Ribera del Duero. A little bit better in Rioja. Um, but, uh, you know, I, 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 I skipped through pretty fast because I, I actually got started getting really into the riding. I, um, I was doing 100 kilometers plus a day and, and having a great time at it. Uh, so I just kept going. And I, I did go to, you know, some bodegas in, in Rioja and, and uh, I drank a lot of uh, Chacoli in, um, in the Basque country. I went up through uh, Bilbao and, and went to the Guggenheim because that was pretty new at the time. And, uh, and then across to uh, San Sebastian, where I spent a few nights um, and days in a pretty crazy way, just uh, bacchanal kind of mode, and um, drinking uh, cider and chocolate and, and eating a lot of tapas and learning about that stuff. And what, what, how old were you at that time? Uh, well, I was 29, and, um, and uh, it was in 
late August, September, and and uh, so I kept writing, and I went uh, up into into the French Basque country for a minute, and uh, and then I started writing. Uh, I wanted to get to Barcelona, and I had a plan to get on a boat there that would take me to Genoa. Um, but that was a quite a long ride, and uh, it was a little hilly, shall we say? It was the Pyrenees, and uh, and I was riding with you know kind of a little less than fifty pounds in my panniers, and uh, <laughs> it was. Uh, I have trouble just taking that up the elevator. It, I'm like, is this fifty pounds? Yeah, I, I mean, you know, I rode a lot at yeah, that time, yeah. so you know, it just. Uh, I couldn't believe that I could do that, that I could actually get up those Tour de France hills. And, and, uh, and I climbed a lot of them, and uh, it was a blast. It was just the best thing I've ever done. So eventually um, got, got through the Pyrenees. I went through Andorra, actually. I bet a lot of people can't say that. Um, not, not much to Andorra. <laughs> but um, I went down to Barcelona and uh, spent some more debaucherous days and nights there. Uh, and I actually, that was where I turned 30 in, uh, in Barcelona. And, um, and then I got on that boat. I went to Genoa, uh, rode and rode and through the Cinque Terre, down into yeah, Tuscany. Uh, I went through San Gimignano and, and Chianti and just uh, saw all that. Just so inspiring, the beauty of the land and, and uh, met a lot of great people. Um, and uh, yeah, that was that was the trip that really kind of changed my life. I think you know it was it was an inspirational trip. I knew I had to work in wine after that. What was the wine experience on a trip? I mean, outside of trying this and visiting that winery, I mean, what was the actual like moment where you? Like- I, I think what what was really amazing to me at that time that I didn't realize was um, that wine is such a part of the fabric of life in Europe. Um, in those regions, among the winemakers, that it's um, that it's not something separate. The way that it appears to be, in a way, you know, the, the trappings of wealth in Long Island and um, in in Napa, which are the you know what I what I had seen, um, and that these were you know regular hardworking people, farmers, and um, and they were you know it's just really so uh, compelling to learn that. And I, I wanted to work with those people. I wanted to work in that world. Um, so I did, I got back to, uh, to New York and I had a extremely lucky circumstance, which was that my, my wife was working, uh, as a graphic designer in a firm, uh, that Kurt Eckert's wife happened to be work, oh, okay. working yeah. with. And, um, this was back in his like John George days. He was at John George at the time. Yeah. He was like the wine director. Yeah, he was the wine director for the, the 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 group of New York restaurants, and um, so so uh, through through Sharon Kurt's wife, I, I met Kurt, uh, and um, he uh, said, "Why don't you come to Jean George and apply for a job?" and and I did, uh, and I got hired, um, and that was uh, first time I'd ever worked in the front of a house of a restaurant. It's also the last time I ever worked in the front of a house of a restaurant. So how'd that go? Uh, it went all kinds of ways. Um, yeah. you know, I, I hated it, loved it. It was exciting, compelling. It was a kind of mid to late nineties and, um, uh, a lot of money around, a lot of money flinging around. You know, there were people lined up at the bar, a guy named, uh, a guy, a wall street guy was, uh, you know, nightly coming in and ordering bottles of Turley's in horizontals of Turley's in and a whole 
group of friends of his, and and uh, you know a lot of a lot of celebrities would come through. I, I mean, some of you guys who know um, who work at these uh, uh, great restaurants get that all the time. But it was new to me, and uh, you know I was just blown you away. You didn't see them in Andorra so much. Not yeah. so much in Andorra. <laughs> uh, I, uh, you know, Jimmy Page came in. That was the best. Uh, no way. Yeah. I mean, That's pretty awesome. Dude. I mean, come on. Greatness, yeah. right? Right. A couple tables away. Um, Stevie Wonder, you know, uh, which was great. I started working uh, as a bar back. Does and, he recognize uh, you today? Uh, he, uh, I'm kidding. He does. You know, we're, Charlie, uh, great to see you yeah, again. Good yeah, friends. He comes, comes to my birthday party. Um, <laughs> So, you know, he, he should, uh, he would recognize me if I made him a cocktail. I actually made him a cocktail, uh, and it's funny because it was a, he wanted champagne and uh, pineapple juice. So I made, I made Stevie a uh, champagne a, and pineapple juice. A drink juice. whose time has yet to come. Uh, you know, it's coming. Um, so, yeah, I worked with, uh, with Kurt, and, um, you know, I have to say he's uh, one of my um, great influences. Because uh, you're so different, I think. That's kind of interesting. Because, you know, he's uh, very kind of... Quiet and very sort of, I don't know, just uh, less maybe uh, evidently passionate than you. Like, I think it's more reserved. Kurt is very passionate. He's, um, you know, uh, by temperament, yeah, a, a reserved kind of guy. Um, but he's got a, a great portfolio now and, and uh, uh, just a really great, great wine guy. Um, what did you and, pick up from him? Oh, he taught me how to taste, really. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, we would taste... Uh, uh, behind the bar, we'd get the chance to taste everything that was opened up by the glass, and um, there was a lot of great stuff opened up by the glass. There was 88 Krug. and Back um, when you could kind of do more stuff with that, because it was cheaper back then. Yeah, yeah, it was cheaper, and people had more money. Yeah. You know what I mean? Poor 80, 88 Krug by the glass. That's crazy. Um, so, you know, I, I started um, tasting with, with Kurt, and... Um, uh, and and Patrick Bickford was there. Oh, sure, from the Weibo. Guy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a, a great, uh, illustrious uh, class of, of folks who had been at uh, Jean-Georges right at that exact moment. Uh, not to mention the kitchen, which was full of good guys. But um, also Savio Sores was, on the, oh, was yeah. on the floor. I didn't know that. Yeah, Savio's another great uh, guy with a great wine portfolio. Um, so uh, we... Uh, we tasted a lot of wine. I started looking at back labels. I started getting into that and understanding who the importers were and, and so on. And I, I, I started uh, noticing, you know, one particular back label that, um, that I, I liked a lot of their wines. You know, in particular, there was a Domaine de la Monardier uh, Vaqueres Via Vigne, which actually got opened up accidentally. It, it was supposed to be the, uh, the less expensive cuvee by the glass. But um, we tasted that Via Vigne, and that rocked me. I mean, I just could not believe uh wine could be so vibrant exciting just uh full of life and um i you know i talked to to kurt about it and he said yeah vineyard expressions it's this uh, great little company they're doing a lot with very very small uh wine wineries and um and bringing in some stuff that really uh, you know is is not like everybody else um yeah, and and that turned out to be true. I ended up working for Vineyard Expressions, um, and they had like a really good book at that time. The book was cool. I mean, there's just tons of uh, stuff that's uh, continues to be in the market to this day. Uh, a lot, a lot that um, that Joe Dressner, uh, Kevin's uh, company, carries, um, like Darty Rebo and um, Domaine de Loratoire Saint Martin in uh, Cairn. Um There's some. Some of this stuff is in uh, Doug Polliner's book, and some of it's in um, Jenny and Francois, the, the great uh, Chablis producer that I think is very overlooked called Houdin. Um, but anyway, yes, um, I, um, I kind of segued out of um, 
Jean-Georges uh, could be because uh, one of the, the reps who came in and, and uh, made their presence known at the, at the bar uh, was Anita Katzman. And, oh, um, sure. I know Anita. Yeah. Another, another great person I met along the way. Um, and, and Anita uh, and I got to talking and, um, you know, I just, uh, it was a lunch shift. I think I got the, 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 the shift nobody wanted, the Sunday uh, bartend uh, lunch shift. And, uh, Drew we, the short straw, did you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was I was low on the totem pole in that place. I I was doing a lot of uh, bussing and just um, the uh, French uh, captains were barking at me all the time. It was um, like I said, it was uh, a lot of good and a lot of uh, not so good. But um, uh, so I just uh, finished uh, opening up a bottle of Sonoma Cotrera Chardonnay for Kathy Lee Gifford, and uh, and then uh, Anita Katzman comes up to the bar and um, she. Uh, uh, you know, we, we, we talked, we got to know each other a little bit and she said, you know, you should, you should come and do, uh, sales. And, uh, so I did. Uh, really? She just like laid that out? Uh, yeah. You know, it was a small company that, uh, that needed to grow. Yeah. And, um, you know, I was, I was obviously, I guess, passionate. And Did and, you like sell her on dessert or something? You're like, yes. <laughs> I mean, what was the, what she was just like, you should do sales. You like, know, we, we, we just got to talking about the wines that she was selling. Yeah. Um, oh, I see. And you, know, you were and, into it. And, and I was, yeah, I was really excited about, you know, I probably was just talking about that Domaine de la Monardiere yeah. uh, in, you know, waving my hands around and such. And, uh, and uh, you know, um, yeah, that was how it happened. I, I, I didn't uh, work too hard at, at trying to get that job, um, but I worked hard once I got it. That's uh, a tough, uh, tough little road to hoe, but, it, but it was, it was good. It was, it was, um, like I said, you know, we were, we were, bringing that book out there and it was it was pretty unique at the time um you know yeah i mean how many kind of smaller importers were there at that time working with kind of those kinds of wines I mean, probably not as many as today right not so many no i mean now we've got a market that's um that's really flooded with uh lots of great importers and i've mentioned a few of them already uh savio and curd and and of course uh, jenny and francois and and um you know the, the uh the master is uh, the Dressner portfolio. But also, I mean, like the press was going the other way, right? Like the press was talking about other wines than those kind of wines at that time. Yeah, it was a market that was dominated by, uh, was driven by really Parker. I mean, that was the heyday of uh, of Parker's influence. He was, um, you know, the I think uh, there was a magazine that, you know, touted him as the most influential um, critic. Yeah, I remember not, that not, not just wine critic, yeah. but the in, most influential critic in any realm. Atlantic Monthly, I think that was. Long time ago. Good call. I don't know, but um, yeah. Uh, so, but you 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 said no to the big money and potential and the the. There was happening. no big money potential. Well, I mean, come on, like, yeah. the captains make a lot of money at a four star, especially in the late nineties. I mean, that was yeah. Good. But I wasn't Go. working my way up to captain in that joint. Man. Got it. You know, <laughs> I was lucky to survive a shift. Um, the uh, the 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 portfolio was. Easy to work with. I loved it, um, and I, you know, I, I think I have to love what I do. Um, that's just me. I, I, I can't just sell anything. Um, so, so, you know, as a niche um, portfolio, uh, it was getting a lot of attention. And um, is that true? Like people were reaching. Yeah, you know, Ned Benedict was all over it, and and um, Beth. I don't Ar- know if that's a good thing or bad. <laughs> Yeah, Beth von Benz, uh, you know, was buying a lot. And, and in her Judson days. In her Judson days, yeah, and um, uh, you know, Kurt, of course, and uh, and. But you guys were penetrating in Manhattan, like you had some. 
Some, yeah, yeah, we were, we were penetrating in Manhattan. I, I would say also, you know, the Brooklyn thing really got started rolling then. Uh, there were stores that were opening up. Park Slope, beautiful neighborhoods now. Well, you know, these stores uh, 10, you know, 12 years ago had uh, plexiglass. You know, you had to put your money through the slot. Um, and, and they, you know, a number of them were just changing over at that time and, and really, you know, uh, passionate, interested buyers, Patty Lenartz at Slope Sellers, uh, Amy Louise Pommier down the street at, uh, at Prospect Wine Shop, uh, great people, great wine people who just had wide open minds and wanted to taste. And, and you know, and that was, that was where we got in. We, we were not talking about scores. We had no interest. There were no scores, excuse me. We just, you know, we didn't submit. Um, right. It wasn't even something to talk about because there wasn't, there wasn't a score. Exactly. Like they weren't like uh, sometimes, you know, I I think of those those kind of wines as like, you know, Solzhenitsyn used to talk about like the Samizat stuff, like the the plays that were just passed around during the time when the official hierarchy wouldn't recognize them, you know, like uh just amongst artists and stuff because like if you wanted scores on Raveno or Soldero or Bono, you couldn't find them, let alone like Uden Chablis. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Um I think you're right. Um, so, so you know, um, that's how I cut my teeth in the wine uh, world is, you know, getting to know that portfolio, uh, learning from Mark Whitmore, uh, the owner of, um, of Vineyard Expressions about terroir. Uh, and that was the thing, you know, he called it Vineyard Expressions, okay? And that, uh, of course, is about uh, expressing the terroir of the land. And, and you know, that, that to me has been the, uh, the driving concept behind uh, everything that I do is... Um, is uh, does this wine speak of where it comes from? Is it uh, have something to say that um, that makes you know it comes from where it comes from and um, who who's making it? Because of course, I think the the winemaker is part of the terroir. Um, so so uh, let's see, vineyard expressions. After that, um, uh, nine eleven happened and and. Um, a lot changed. A lot changed in the market. Uh, the economy was was tanking pretty bad. Um, there were some unfortunate things that happened internally at Vineyard Expressions that uh, really led to its demise, uh, as well as as well as the bad economy. Um, so you know, we had been working with uh, not just Mark's wines, his selections uh, from France, uh, but also we we grabbed some other. Portfolios and you know some strange, incongruous, well, seemingly incongruous uh, Australian wine. Uh, I still haven't got my head around terroir in Australia, but um, I, and I don't think I will. Uh, but it was the Australian Premium Wine Collection. Um, some of those wines are pretty interesting. Some of those wines are, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we also hooked up with Rudy Vist. And, oh, okay. Yeah, and um, but he was also with Skernick at that time. No, no. Um, I think that was after. Oh, okay. Uh, after Skernick, there was something else in between. Um, nobody was doing the, uh, a great job for, for, for Rudy. For Rudy. It's tough with German. <sighs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I heard uh, Michael's interview, Michael Skernick's interview earlier, uh, where he spoke about uh, how he made the move to Terry Thies. And, and um, you know, it's really curious. And, and uh, uh, I think Michael's a great uh, importer and a great salesman. And, uh, and he talked about how uh, the Thies portfolio went from zero to 60 where they'd been languishing with Rudy's. Well, uh, contrary to that, um, 
you know, we took uh, the Rudy Beast portfolio. It was also split between uh, Vineyard Expressions and and Jeroboam, which was David Bowler's co- company. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, Daniel Jonas's company, of course, but um, David was working with him. And so this was after David left Skernick. He was working with Jonas at Jeroboam. That's right. And he got Rudy again after having worked with Rudy at Skernick. That's right. That's right. And he knew the wines well, and he knew Rudy well, and and um, uh, we we. Um, we really did well with those wines. We, uh, yeah. we 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 felt very much like, um, contrary to I think a lot of the country in New York, Thies really was dominating the market, and we 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 felt uh, some good satisfaction in uh, in grabbing some of that market share. Uh, my apologies to my friends at Thies, uh, Kevin Pike, and such. But um, uh, well, you can't blame a guy for selling wine. I mean, I don't right, think right, you right. have to apologize for that. You know what I mean? No, no, no. I mean, yeah. you know, just that that you know, there's there's a competitive aspect to it, and certainly those two portfolios in Germany are the are the are the two that sort of define it for us. Exactly, yeah. uh, and and well, that should be, I think, um, because they're they're both great. Uh, so so you know, at the point at which um, I was Vineyard Expressions was was kind of kaput, and um, and David was leaving uh, Jeroboam and starting his own thing. David Baller uh, was starting his own thing. Yeah, yeah. That was, uh, I don't know, 2003, 2003, I think. Um, He's like, I'm sick of these hot vintages. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm just kidding. Like, yeah, no, we, no. We, I think the first uh, vintage we actually had to sell was a 2003 vintage, which, uh, which is you know, something into itself uh, that... Interesting vintage. Uh, Rudy, Rudy Beast, I think, to this day, thinks it's a, a great, great vintage. Um, and so uh, when David was uh, starting his own company, um, we had uh, collaborated on on tastings, uh, German DI tastings. Oh, because you both had Wiest. Because we both had Wiest. Um, so we we had uh, developed a, a really good working relationship, and so it seemed logical that we would get together and... Um, and get started with David Bowler Wine. Because um, that's when I met you. I remember meeting you when you worked for Bowler. Like, yeah. It was the Edmund St. John lunch. Mm. Right. I remember that. Uh, so D- David and I um, started out with really, um, you know, just a handful of, of wines, a little bit of um, the portfolio of Vineyard Expressions, some some stuff that I grabbed and, and brought in, uh, some of which he still works with to this day. Um and uh, the, the the company of David Bowler Wine, I think, was really um, the genesis of it was that that DA tasting of the 2002 vintage. I, I hope I have these years right. I'm not so good at that. 2002 but, um, Germany. Yeah, yeah. And we had taken uh, a lot of orders. Um, you know, I for Vineyard Expressions and David for his company. And and um, as it turned out, you know, when David was getting started, um, it seemed logical for Rudy to put the whole book in our hands. Um, and uh, we had all those DI orders. Oh, you already had the orders. We had the orders yeah, from you're the like, spring. I know who needs two cases. Yeah, it was kind of awesome. I mean, yeah. there was you know hundred hundred thousand uh, in uh, sales just built into the company when we got started, was, uh, was which is not bad. A nice best. jump start. A yeah. nice jump start. So you know, I was with David for four years. It was awesome. Uh, great uh, to be a part of the development of that company, um, which is doing pretty okay right now. They're doing all right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, a lot of the the folks who we hired um, are still there, and and it's um, uh, some of my really best uh, friends in in the industry still there. So I, I have a, a deep connection to that company, and um, you know, I, I have a great. Uh, I, 
the three mentors, you know, it was uh, Kurt to begin with, and then Mark Whitmore, uh, Vineyard Expressions, and um, and David, you know, is a, a, a real influence on me. How so? In wine, um, f- a large part, but I think in um, life more. Uh, you know, he taught me about uh, being having integrity in uh-huh. business and doing things the right way and treating people right. And um, you know, I'll, I'll be forever thankful for him to, uh, to him for that. Um, and I and I hope to carry those tenets with me uh, as I as I do my own business. Um, so I, which is Bonami, which is called Bonami Wine Imports. So you kind of you decided to go and do your own thing. Yeah. At some point, I, I got I got the opportunity to to do my own thing. I I, um, I was a little frustrated uh, at David Buller Wine uh, because I felt like we were um, very much uh, working with importers. I had expected when we started that we'd be doing a lot of that import work ourselves. More and, DI stuff. Yeah, exactly. Um, which David does a lot of, and and but we we had one great importer that we worked uh, with that was the the bulk of the book and uh, and I because you were working with Wigan at that time yeah Peter Wigan which yeah. you know another uh, has a lot of wine another importer who I respect immensely uh, especially for his palate um, and uh, you know it it was we I, you know in a, in a certain way we were beholden to uh, working hard on that portfolio to you know the you didn't that, want to have competing things. You to didn't the, want to, to like to go the detriment find some, of our ability to right. actually. Hey, we have a new Alsace producer. Yeah, that kind yeah. Of and thing. I remember Peter being pretty unhappy with us. You know, when we would bring in when you would do that a Sancerre, for right. instance, and you know we had to bring in that Sancerre because we were we needed a lower price Sancerre. You know, we could right, get, right, right, we right. get to buy the glass uh, across the board at the be our guest group or something like that. Sure. And, you know, so you got to do that, but. Um, you know, we um, it, it was my it was my hope and my love based on my experience in the past, and uh, you know, Vineyard Expressions being part of that because Mark, you know, did all of his own French importing. Uh, I I wanted to do that. I wanted to be connected. You wanted to get back way. to Europe a little bit more. Yeah, I really wanted to travel to Europe as much as France, particularly. Um, but you know, Italy and uh, and Germany. You know, my trips with Rudy Wiest were some of the best best times of my life. Best wine trips. Most. Um, What's he like to travel with? Uh, very regimented. Yeah, I can see that. Rudy gets a lot done. Yeah. Um, yeah, he does. You get, you do a lot of appointments and, um, uh, and you see a lot and, um, he's, he's an incredibly generous man who, uh, I also had a, a you know, great, great fortune to be associated with. Um, so yeah, I left, um, David in the, uh, very beginning of 2008 and, um, I began to start researching um, wine producers, calling up old friends and, and getting back in touch with people like Bertrand Brigandat in Champagne. Um, and um, I started with Bertrand Brigandat, but I, I was really excited about Champagne. Uh, and, and I still am, of course. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's an interesting, incredible region with uh, very, incredibly varied terroir from, you know, from north to south. And, uh, and, and it's dynamic, um, in a way that, uh, that a lot of people don't expect. Um, of course, Terry Thies is the, you know, the big pioneer of, um, of grower champagnes, but the grower champagne movement to me was about the most exciting thing happening in France that, that just, uh, was turning a paradigm on its head, um, where the, the, uh, Grand Marc houses, the, uh, the large, uh, negociants, uh, really had 
dominated the the conversation and um and it seemed an easy mark in a way to start working with grower champagne uh because uh, of that um you know everybody really loves the uh the underdog, the underdog. Think, you know and and rise up and kind of you know i think that uh the small growers in champagne are really um uh, becoming a, a great, great force and influence. Seems like it. Yeah. I mean, everywhere I go in terms of restaurant, that's all you see. Like yeah. you don't see a lot of. I mean, maybe there's some DP or something, but well, you, mostly it's growers. Yeah, I mean, don't don't cry for uh, Veuve Clicquot, you know. Uh, but not so much in New York. I mean, maybe retail, but at restaurants, it's almost like. Uh, yeah, I mean, you're right. Any any fine restaurant anywhere where people are are, are serious, um, I think. Um, it's it's funny to say that word to, are are serious, but you know serious about having fun and and exploring and being. Uh, do you feel like know, that that combo has always been important to you? Because I feel like you kind of do that, like have fun, but also you know care about the stuff. Absolutely, and I think you know it goes way back to uh, to Chris Lessinger when we were talking about that. Yeah. I mean, we're we're cooking, we're making great food. It has a uh, tradition. We're, we're 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 not just going crazy with the. Um, uh, you, what is the the micro whatever cooking? You know, I mean, we're having fun in the sense that we're exploring uh, a tradition, and there's a reason for the way that these flavors mesh together. The spice is what it is; it's it's just enough, and it's just right. Um, and we're and we're having a blast while we do it. Yeah, um, but which follows through to people like Bowler, like yeah. you know, he's he enjoys a glass of wine. You know Absolutely. I mean? yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we all do a bit, yeah. sometimes a little bit too much, but, uh, you know, it's, um, it's, it's, it's part of life and it should be part of life to have fun and to enjoy what you're doing. And not, you know, I, I think that there are quite a lot of people in the business right now, um, who are, uh, taking the details a little too much to heart. And um, why would that be? Do you think that that is out of aspiration to move up, or is that uh, because they don't have a lot of experiential? I, I think there's a natural curiosity um, uh, among s some people. Um, I just think that sometimes we're putting the cart before the horse. I, I've tasted with people, and before they taste, they'll turn around, uh, they'll, they'll look at the label to find out, you know, German wine, oh, how much alcohol is in it? Uh, well, you know, don't look at that first. Don't prejudice yourself against what's in the taste. Yeah, let's taste. Let's taste and see what's there. You know, fourteen percent alcohol in a in a Chateau Neuf de Pop or what have you. You know, any any given bottle of wine. I mean, even if we're talking about Burgundy with thirteen percent or thirteen five, um, who cares? <laughs> Taste the wine. I don't. I don't. You know, numbers are uh, you know not something that's super important to me. Um, I don't know. Were we talking? What were we talking about? Uh, well, having week? fun. Yeah, but, yeah. But then you were working with Grower Champagne. You added producers are pretty good, like Ledru into the portfolio. Yeah. You, I mean, uh, did how did that come about that you found those? Did you, you uh, sniff a lot of, a little bit? Or? Yeah, a lot of research. You know, I I, I did a lot of uh, research online. I read everything I possibly could. Um, I spoke to uh, to Peter Liam a bit. Um, he knows a little bit about champagne. He does indeed. Uh, he's a great guy too. I, um, I, I discovered most of these things on my own, most of the, the, the producers, and then I went to Champagne a couple of times and, and visited with a lot of people. Um, I was very lucky to have uh, Marie-Noël LeDrew available at that time. Um, Which were, no one had heard of at the time. Nobody had heard of Marie-Noël. Peter had, of course. Um, 
you know, and I, I went over a bunch of names with Peter. I was talking to him about Cedric Bouchard. And, oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, I think that those, at that time, a, a bunch of these people were still loose and not picked yeah. up yet. Yeah, L- Ulysses Colan. Yeah. I, 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 uh, I, I uh, mentioned Ulysses Colan to, uh, to David Lilly. That was a big mistake. He, uh, I got a call from, from uh, Joe Dressner, right? No A couple way. days later, yeah. Yeah, he said, yeah, you know, I... I think that one is not for you. I think, uh, oh, you're picking them up, Joe. Okay, okay, no no worries. I'll, I'm all, I'll back off. Wow. <laughs> yeah, a smile only gets you so far, but a smile and a contract and a warm gun gets you further. I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't think that one's for you. Well, you know, yeah. I mean, I, I, I have... I want um, you to release Johnny from I, his I think contract. I have a, a healthy amount of respect for the importers that have come before me. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to fight that battle. There was plenty of, uh, and surprisingly to me at the time, just great, great champagne There was growers. enough out there for... Yeah, you know, I'm Peter, Peter Lee include me into Michel Lorio, uh, yeah. which is uh, which is a uh, Pinot Meunier uh, specialist. Yeah, uh, not to say that that's all they do, but uh, that's what the region produces and and produces really well. And you know, of course, that's really important to me. Uh, terroir and uh, you know that that grape is mostly what's grown there, and it's typicity, uh, a history of it. Yes, um, it's uh, the Valley de. Flago, uh, Flago being um, what did you just call Flago <laughs> being a uh, tributary to the to the Marne River, um, and it's a beautiful area of Champagne. Not not all of Champagne is so pretty, um, but uh, because of the climactic conditions, uh, Pinot Meunier was uh, was the logical grape to grow there. And then since then, it's become uh, probably the the top source um, for anybody who's buying. Mounier and blending it in like Krug or uh, or Jacquesson. Uh, which they do. They which they do, yeah. They, they both uh, hold uh, Mounier to be an important part of the blend. So how's it going with the old uh, Bonami imports? I mean, how many years has it been now that you've had your own time? Uh, like I said, I started in 2008, which was a, a great time to start because of uh, we brought wine in uh, right into the teeth of the uh, sinking economy. Uh and um it, it was a good time to start no it was horrible it was horrible time to start. <laughs> well, sorry i'm a little slow you know that. it was uh, it, i did all right i i brought wines in i had enough connections and, and contacts that that people were interested in what i was what i was going to do and 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 i got you know plenty of uh of sales enough to sustain me anyway um so you know here we are uh five years later um it's been uh, a bumpy. It's been great. It's been uh, you know we're we're still here and uh, and we're we're chugging along at this point, uh, having a great uh, December, a great November uh, this year with um, champagne sales. The the champagne book has it's it's what we lead with, I think, and and it's really uh, great for us, especially this time of year, to have terrific champagne. We picked up a new uh, champagne producer this year um, called Henriet Bazan in uh, the. Uh, uh, Montaigne de Rem village of uh, Vier Marmory. Okay. Yeah. Uh, which is, um, I think, uh, this has uh, another great Vier Marmory producer called Mar- Marjane, but I, I, I'm not sure that there's any others in the market. They also have uh, Grand Cru, uh, Verzi, and Verzenay. And uh, the reaction that we've had to those wines has been really, really positive. We've 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 done well just to introduce a new wine, which is hard. It's it's hard. What to, is that like to introduce a wine? In well. Um, you know, it's. Um, is it I, easier I, than it used to be? Say, fifteen years ago. 
Now, I would say it's harder. Because um, there's more competition now? Yeah, yeah, there really is. There's, there's The market is um, very competitive. Um, yeah, and to think, you know, to go up against people, not that I'm competing directly, but, I mean, Thies has an amazing grower champagne portfolio. Um, Pollard has some really terrific stuff. David has uh, has some great stuff. There's there's a lot of great wine in the market. Um Henri Bazan is something that, you know, our fifth uh, grower. And, um, you know, it, it's scary. It's scary to say, okay, I'm going to make a 10,000 euro buy here. And uh, I don't know if uh, people are going to buy it from me. I, I'm not sure. Um, but, you know, I, I trust my palate. It's what, that's all I have. So, <laughs> you know, and, and the story is great. It's, it's, it's incredible terroir and their wines are unique. So, you know, of course you've got to look for something that's unique. That is, that is that important in the market now? It's so important. You, you, you know, um, let's see, you know, we, 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 we try to present value uh, as a as a company philosophy, we we um, we're looking constantly, constantly looking for that, you know. And I think it's kind of like what a uh, what a hedge fund manager does in a, in a sense, you know. You're you're looking for that undervalued the undervalued thing. thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's got to work in the market. You can love the hell out of the wine, but if the the producer is uh, um, you know very uh, esteemed or uh, you know, has a sense of, of themselves as being maybe more important than they are or, or something to that effect. Maybe they're doing really well in Asian markets. Maybe they're doing really well domestically in France. Um, well, you know, I can't pick that wine up because right. it's just not going to work in New York City. For the price point of all. Yeah, yeah. With the comparison in the market, especially if you're introducing it to people. Correct. And yeah. you don't want the reality check to come to you. Oh, no. You would prefer I've that had, the producer I've come, had a number so. of those reality checks. I have them all the time. Um, you know, I picked up a, a great uh, Cote de Provence producer that I thought was going to be, you know, this is this is on the level of uh, Chateau Simon. It's, wow. But, but no, nobody wants to pay, uh, at least they don't want to pay me, um, you know, $25 for a Cote de Provence rosé. Uh, it's got a lot going against Wholesale, it yeah. in terms of the perception that people have in the market of what that wine should cost. And uh, it is- Because they want to pour it by the glass often. Like yeah. they want a pourable. Yeah, they like want- Under they, 20. They do. They, they, they want it. Yeah, thanks. I mean, I, I actually, um, uh, you ask that uh, possibly- uh, I would bring a, a bottle of something to, you know, to, for yeah. us to discuss. So, you know, in, in, at first I was like, oh, what, what should I bring that would be exciting? And then I started thinking, well, you know, well, maybe Levy can explain to me why this isn't selling. You know, why can't I sell That'd this? That'd be an interesting discussion. <laughs> why can't I sell this uh, incredible Suave Classico yeah. that I have? That, Which you know, one do you have? It's called Le Battistella. And oh, um, okay. they're a... Uh, uh, young couple uh, who left the co-op uh, about three, four years ago. And uh, I mean, the wine is just fantastic. I went to visit them. The uh, It's amazing, beautiful wine country, very, very steep hills, pergola-trained vines. Um, uh, they're, they're, they're focused. Um, you know, they will not blend Trebbiano into their Suave. Um, but I, but I, I can't figure out how to sell it. And I, and I don't know if that's because Suave is uh, maligned in the marketplace or there's only a few that, that people, but you know, it's neither here nor there. Um, where are we going with this? Well, I think, is it difficult for 
importers who are not Italian to sell to Italian restaurants? Is there still that kind of like, hey, yeah, we, Italians we, sell to Italians? We really do most of our um, uh, Italian business in retail. Um, is that true? It is. Because um, that would make sense to me because I've seen that difference. Where it's not like with the French where you buy French wine from a French guy anymore. I mean, yeah. it used to be, I think. But I, I, I do think that with Italian, it's difficult for non-Italians to sell to Italian restaurants. I think that's generally true. Um, uh, there are you know, plenty of, of great restaurants that have uh, an Italian element to their list, and, and we can sell to right. those. Right, Mediterranean. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we have, a, we have one um, a calling card, I think, in Italy, which is a, an Amarone and Valpolcello producer called uh, Viviani. Sure. That, uh, Those wines age great. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, about Viviani, Viviani, uh, Amarone. Amarone is even a category that uh, is problematic to me in a sense. Why is that? Uh, because of the weight, because yeah. of the intensity of it. Um, During a period of time when everyone seems to want to go low alcohol, it's in the other direction. Um, well, yeah. Uh, everybody, not everybody. I mean, I think um, that's a trend. But yeah. um, but 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 what I love about Viviani is um, Claudio is uh, is a guy who who understands that whole milieu of 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 where he stands within within the the concept of Amarone that, you know, what it, what it is and what it should be. And, and he likes to, I think he's bucking the trend. I think he, um, he is really concerned with vibrancy in the wine and, uh, it's not with him a pissing contest of who can, you know, uh, have the fattest, biggest, richest, you know, um, cause he, sometimes he, there's some good acidity in those wines. There's really, really beautiful acidity. He's very, very high up. Um, so, oh, is that so why the altitude, I think really, I um, you know, uh, I, th- I think he has great terroir for the ability to make wines that are balanced, uh, even within that, you know, bigness, that large uh, Amarone style. Um, because Claudio loves to eat. He, he loves to uh, sit down at a restaurant and have his wine with, uh, with uh, great food. And, uh, and he understands the, that, uh, that dynamic between food and wine. And he's, yeah, I think uh, Amarone is, is kind of a pissing contest of just like who, who can have the fattest, richest, craziest, you know, intense wine. Do you think coming from restaurants, you look more for that food friendliness? Absolutely, yeah. I, I think, uh, you know, the, the food um, wine Pairing has always been a big part of uh, my conception of what wine should be and what wine should do. You know, we 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 have wine with with food. We we drink. It. You know, that's uh, why I love Burgundy so much. That's why I love Riesling so much. Uh, those wines just work with everything. So you have seen the market change. A couple of uh, recessions. You've seen the rise of cold cab. You saw the demise or less enthusiasm about cold cab. Uh, you saw a whole lot more small importers come into the game. Um, if you were looking back and you were to say uh, some words of advice to someone who thought about doing what you did, which was change out the uh, four-star restaurant life for the wine importer life, what would you say to that person? Um, I would say trust your palate. Um, don't worry about trends. Don't think too much about the details. Embrace what you emote when you taste wine, be passionate. Commit to what you like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, you y- think there's, there's a reason that you like it. Well, you know, again, I cannot sell what I don't love. I, I can't just 
sell a you know a wine that uh, that I think is you know just marginal. I have to really embrace it. I have to really love it. And like I said, you know, sometimes it's scary, scary to love that uh, expensive Cote de Provence rosé. And I brought those wines in, and they flopped. Um, so that happens. But uh, you know, I'm I'm still gonna try and try and talk about those wines and, and, uh, and uh, you know, maybe, maybe someday the market will be ready for them or something like that. I don't know. So it's been a couple of years you're working with Bonami. It's your company. Uh, who else is on your team there? Well, I had great fortune to hire a incredible sales guy this uh, past year. Oh, okay. Uh, Who's that? A guy named Jake Cerise. He was working at Montague Wines as the buyer there. Um, and, uh, you know, he's just... Uh, bowled me over with uh, his work ethic and uh it's part of part of the great reason that, that i really feel optimistic for our future bonami wine and ports because you know you need to you really need that solid core of people and you know robin touche uh when i hired her Very that nice was person oh my god the best brings thing a lot I, of energy best thing i ever did was to hire her she's a really amazing a lot of energy and just a talented talented taster and great great people will help us to you know, do do some things that we want to do in the future. Uh, they kind of fill your tank a little bit when you see them at the at the office. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we we have a lot of ambitions uh, to grow the portfolio in. Uh, you a, do a number of different directions. Is um, that difficult to do now that like you know things are balkanized? Like people have things. A lot yeah, of portfolios. You it's, know, is it? I mean, agreed. Get, it's very difficult. You know, we 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 want to we want to bring in uh, both both Robin and I. Love Chenin Blanc, and we uh, we we need some Chenin Blanc in our book, and we don't have it. Um, but you know, where do you go, and, right. and and who's you know not doing a great job with uh, with Vouvray and Mont Louis? I mean, there's just you know incredible wines in the market. So yeah, I got to find everybody reads the same publications now. I mean, That's I feel right. like everyone reads like Rouge Blanc and stuff. It's not like a unknown thing. Or, yeah, or, yeah. Or everyone's at the div, you know. Like, so how do you? How 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 do you go about finding something that's not stealing from somebody else, but at the same time is you know world beater? I mean, is that possible? Is you know, if I knew that, I'd be doing it all the time. Right. But I, I, right. I just you know you have to get lucky a lot of the time. I mean, you do as much knocking on doors due diligence as, as you can uh, with research, but um, sometimes you just stumble across somebody. You know, I went to uh, Salon de Vendloire um, a few years back and not really expecting to. Uh, I mean, Sancerre. Where's you know the new Sancerre? Yeah, like who, where, who's hiding that we haven't found yet? Well, Emile Balland was hiding somehow. I don't know how he hadn't been discovered yet. But this guy is amazing. He has just a hectare of vines in Amigny, uh, incredible, beautiful, steep, chalky hillside. Uh, he calls the cuvee uh, Crook Coyote, which is uh, a little. There's a illustration on the label of a, a woman in the vineyard eating pebbles so the crook coyote the coyote are the chalky pebbles oh, that sure. she's eating yeah. so the crook coyote is a snack of chalky pebbles and that's what these wines you know really really evoke is that uh, beautiful chalkiness that you can get in Sancerre um, so how the hell was that available right. I don't know And but it was and we, we picked them up and again with champagne and growers you know it's like why was Henri Bazin available uh, they were recommended to me by uh, Marie Noel de Drew uh, Marie is shrinking Unfortunately, she's going from six hectares down to two, and so there's just going to be very little one. And Marie and I have developed a relationship where she's concerned about me a little bit, and uh, and she she wanted me to pick up uh, Henri Bazin because of her respect for them. But uh, I can't believe they hadn't been picked up yet. But I mean, I, th I feel like a lot of successful importers use producer recommendations to find 
people. Like I feel like a lot of Rosenthal's people were somebody saying, hey, you should check this guy out. You yeah, know? I have um, had that happen once or twice. Um, uh, you know, and strangely, uh, I had already known one of these producers. Uh, I work with a Segure uh, producer called Domaine de Cabas. It's, uh, it's fantastic stuff. And they have a little Gigandas. And uh, Nicola Haney, the, the winemaker there, was uh, talking to me about, uh, you know, how he uh, thought about wine. And, and he said that it was very, very influenced um, by this guy, Eric Michel, uh, who makes uh, Cro de la Mure, Cote de Rhone's. And um, Eric was his mentor, and, and uh, he calls him the sage of Derbu, where, uh, where Eric lives is Derbu. Because uh, I think of myself as the basil of Derbu sometimes. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. It's a, you know, it's a whole... Uh, palette of uh, herbs um so uh we go and we go visit uh eric michel together me and and uh, his french is really hard for me and so i i have to take uh nicolas with me when i go um and uh you know he just philosophizes for the whole time you're there about yields and uh the lore of chateauneuf du pop he makes a tiny tiny amount of chateauneuf du pop uh 300 uh, cases in total, and I buy 10 each year. Um, but but mostly, you know, he's uh, about uh, uh, the alchemy of um, grape the, the the grapes in combination with one another in the in the fermentation. So they're they're co-fermented uh, and co- different, different kinds of grapes are co-fermented. Right, right, yeah. right. Cunois and uh, Grenache and uh, Syrah and and all those traditional Chardonnay de Pop grapes. Um, but but co co planted in his vineyards and co fermented uh, and harvested all at the same time and he, he believes in that alchemy that uh, you know you, that's how you do it <laughs> um, so that was a recommendation that I got but that doesn't happen all that often for me unfortunately Be well nice. <laughs> cheers to the future Mr Woods and I appreciate you being on the show today thank you Charlie Woods of Bonami Imports thanks for having me Levy all drink to that is hosted and produced by myself Levy Dalton. Aaron Scala has contributed original pieces. Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose and Thomas Bartlett. Show artwork by Alicia Tenoyan. T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, and so much more, including show stickers, notebooks, and even gift wrap are available for sale if you check the show website, alldrinktothatpod.com. That's I-L-L, drinktothatpod.com which is the same place you'd go to sign up for our email list or to make one of the crucially important donations that help keep this show operating. You can donate from anywhere using PayPal or Stripe on the show website. Remember to hit subscribe or to follow this show in your favorite podcast app, please. That's super important to see every episode. And thank you for listening.